0: You're listening to The Social Workers on WCDB Albany. Welcome to a special short segment of the Social Workers Radio Talk Show. I'm your co-host, Alyssa lotmore LMSW, here at the University at Albany. Today, we have Marie Dolphy, who graduated from the University at Albany School of Social Welfare back in 1983 with an MSW, so one of our alums. She has worked in numerous settings such as adolescent inpatient units, outpatient practices, day treatment programs, all before she opened her own private practice specializing in adoption issues in 2007. For over 25 years, Marie has committed herself to learning about relinquishment and adoption issues by attending conferences and workshops, reading research and books, and learning from Adoption Triad members who have shared their stories. Marie regularly presents workshops for the adoptive Families of the Capital Region Support Group and runs a monthly Adopted Teen Discussion Group for the organization. Additionally, Marie has presented the workshops at state and national adoption conferences. So we're really excited to have Marie here today to talk about this important topic of adoption.
1: Well, thank you, first of all, for having me out here, because as I said, there's not enough people who have adoption-specific training. And unfortunately, there's some social work practices that were done that weren't evidence-based that's kind of promoted people not having the education needed. What happened was is back around the 1920s, they started sealing birth certificates. Um, And this message started, raise the child as if they were born into families. Prior to that time, we had maternity homes with women who had untimely pregnancies who could live there, get skills, childcare was provided so that if they wanted to parent, they had the supports to help them get on their feet or adoptions happened by networking. Mm -hmm. The the families would know somebody or um, the doctor, somebody would help them find a family to raise their child. So when we started sealing birth certificates, we started pretending the first parents were bad, Mm -hmm. which is not fair. An untimely pregnant doesn't mean you're bad. I mean, this happens quite a bit. Um, and caseworkers started matching kids, not based upon the, what would be a good match, based on personality and resources, but based because everybody looked alike. Mm-hmm. And we have real clear records that um, case managers would tell adoptive parents, r- raise them as if they were born into the family. The less you talk about the birth family, the better. If your kid asks about their birth family, you must be doing something wrong, which there's no evidence about. Mm-hmm. Um, first, parents were shamed. They were told they could not have any contact with their kid when, in fact, we know that a lot of um, adopted individuals and adoptive parents would welcome that contact, mm-hmm. right? It's the kid's extended family. Yeah. We, when we get married, we don't say to our spouse, you can't have any contact with your family. Just because somebody can't parent doesn't mean they don't have something to offer, yep. so that's why we have open adoption now, and so um case managers even stopped giving adoptive parents the background information on the children the the, the first parents. sometimes they were told um the birth parents died wow. in a car accident. And they, they did not. And they did not. Wow. And so this has happened in international adoption, foster adoption traditionally, and domestic private. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about identity issues, mm-hmm. no wonder people are finding their identities more complex. you got the first parents who were shamed, mm-hmm. yep. not given services, told to get on with their lives. you got the adopted individual trying to come up with a positive identity mm-hmm. with a lack of information.
0: Now, for the adoptive parents, uh, you had said that many probably would welcome their birth families involved. What what was the reason for sort of saying, oh, the parent's dead, or the parent's not going to come
1: back for the child, or the parent doesn't know who you are? Is there a reason that they were pushing that? Back in the 1940s, we really didn't educate adoptive parents, before they adopted, about how to explain relinquishment stories. How to parent, I mean, adoptive parenting just means it's more complex. It's not less than. So instead of working with the adoptive parents where we try to do today, so those who are out there who are, have Mm the training on this, we talk about adoptive parenting tasks, whether it's transracial adoption, how to manage relationships with birth families. Instead of giving the skills, they just said, don't worry about it. it just, it just wasn't very evidence-based. So what's happening today more in um, domestic private adoption and foster care adoption, hopefully, people are making an individualized assessment and saying what level of contact with the first parents would be most appropriate. So the adoption agencies that I work with to do home studies around here are pretty good at that. They educate the um, prospective adoptive parents on what open adoption relationships look like ask for their preferences. They, most of them will say you minimally have to send letters and photos even if the um, first parents don't ask for them. Oh okay? really? Okay. So that's a trend that's very positive. I don't do a lot of work with families that have adopted from foster care but my understanding it's a case-by-case, um, mm-hmm. I should say county-by-county practice about I think there's one local judge who says no nope, we don't do open adoptions in my court which is unfortunate because just because you can't parent Mm -hmm. doesn't mean you don't have something to offer. You know sometimes they're living difficult lives the first parents but that explains why the relinquishment happened.
0: Now that leads to my next question sort of about these assessments. How are the relinquishment and adoption assessments different than maybe a traditional type of assessment for for a family or
1: So for um, a birth parent, you would really want to see how much they've been traumatized by not grieving, because if they were told they did a good thing, move on with their lives, they haven't been necessarily given the support to grieve. Um, We know that a lot of them have symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder, and yet the DSM-5 does not include the relinquishment of a child, whether voluntary or involuntary, as a condition that warrants that diagnosis. Because we told them they did a good thing. If you do a good thing, you shouldn't be sad. Well, it's usually one of the most significant life events for a first yeah. parent. Mm-hmm. So we really need to take a look at how the the grief, PTSD, and the lack of supports have really impacted them. Maybe look into, is an open adoption relationship or reunion, mm-hmm. something that could help them yep. with where they're at. Especially
0: going, just thinking of some families, um, if the child goes into a home that they're like, well, the child's in a good home, you know, that, that move on, how does that parent then process, the birth parent process all that? Well, I should be happy because my child is getting something maybe I couldn't offer at the time, but at the same time, why do I feel like this? Like, why do I feel like this piece is missing or
1: something? Right. And we know that grief work, uh, from our grief work, that the loss of a child, whether it's a first parent or um, a parent who had a birth child, you know, biological child, the grief doesn't get better over time. So it really impacts them. For if you're working with an adoptive family, what I would do is I would say what happened prior to the child joining the family? Were they abused? Were they neglected? Did they live in an orphanage? Were they exposed to alcohol prenatally? Or mm-hmm. the child is the child de- chronological age matched their developmental age Mm -hmm. because a tradition, you know, when I was here, you know, we take a systems look and if a kid had some pretty acting out behaviors or some mental health issues, well there must be something wrong in the family system. Mm -hmm. How'd they get there? Well that's not necessarily true with the adoptive family. Mm -hmm. I mean, we know when kids are traumatized, I mean, they've got significant um, behavioral problems or emotional Mm -hmm. problems. Mm -hmm.
0: Now your upcoming workshop is on identity issues and what makes identity more complex for um, the adoption, like the, all the members of the adoption, the birth parent, the uh, adoptive parents, the child,
1: what, what's complex about the identity issues? So for the first parents it's tough because they're a parent but they're not parenting. Mm-hmm. So what do you say when somebody says how many children do you have? How do you not take on the shame, the second-rate messages that people give to them? Yep. So identity is more complex because they're not supported.
0: And that's oh. something I would even think of because you might not even know that that person had a child that they right. had, had given up for adoption. So it's a, a common question that any, you know people ask me all the time. Right. And you don't think of how that could impact a person and what they must process every time. that that question's brought up, because it's a common, it really is a common question. (laughs) It's one of the first things people
1: ask people. Yeah. Um, For, um, and that kind of makes me think of adoptive parents. You know, so many times we get told, well, you're not the real parents. Even though, you know, our, you know, people go around saying, oh, blood is thicker than water. And we know that's not true. People are more attached a lot of times to their spouse than they are to a lot of other people. Yeah. Um, but people tend to think of as adoptive families as second rate versus a second choice. Mm-hmm. That's just a little bit more complex. Yeah. Um, for the adopted individual, it can be really tough. And it all, all these issues depend on the person's personality and life experience. So mm-hmm. some people may not struggle a lot with identity issues. Mm-hmm. But if someone who has the personality and the life experience, it's a little bit harder. So for the adopted individual, a lot of them don't have photos. Yeah. For the kids who are orphaned, whether it was in China or mm-hmm. Safe Haven, adopting communities not too happy with Safe Haven policies, um, you don't have a photo, you don't have a story, you don't know your mannerisms, you don't know your medical history, you go to school, you can't do the assignments. Mm-hmm. Um, it really can take a toll on some people and I hear that mm-hmm. a lot um, when especially the teens I work with and that's what, why a lot of people do the search and reunion. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's looking for relationships. Some do, that's great, but a lot of them just want their answers so they can have a more complete identity.
0: Does it change if a child was adopted as a one-year-old versus, I'm assuming the earlier, the, is there the less identity issues if they're adopted at one versus if they were in foster care until they were 12 and then adopted? Did, if they have that from when they were kind of as early as they can remember, having that adoptive family be their, you know, the only parent they knew, does that help with the identity issues or still? Information helps.
1: Information. Okay. So we know open adoption helps mm-hmm. the first parents the adopted individual, and the adoptive parents. We know adoptive parents have a higher rate of feeling entitled okay. in open adoption. Um, what happens when the kids are in foster care, if their life story was maintained, if people created a life book, if they kept connections okay. with their communities, their relatives, mm-hmm. then they not, they're not missing the information. But when kids okay. get bounced around a lot, their stories, um, their family history, Gets lost. So, more information the better. One of the things we still need to work on is getting photos for the individuals today that are adopted. Even today, we've got a lot of adoptive parents meeting the first parents at the hospital mm-hmm. in private adoption, and nobody's taken a picture. Wow. I think everybody's feeling it's very tenuous. We're worried she's going to change her mind. Mm-hmm. It's too hard of a day for her. Or, or maybe she just wants to go back to her life, and she's okay with just letters and photos of the agency. And these kids don't even know who they look like. So mm-hmm. we're getting there, but mm-hmm. photos and information are key.
0: You know, and I've been seeing how you were just talking about people who are trying to find their families, maybe for information or their their birth families. I've been seeing a lot on social media. Um, actually, a, a person that I went to school with, i didn't never even knew that they were adopted all these years ago, and they're trying to put that you know holding the yep. sign. Have yep. you? I was seen born it. here. And I've seen a lot of those. Is this a sort of a trend? Not a trend, but like where people are really using all different methods to find their birth families. Have you seen a change over the years, um, especially mm-hmm. with the rise of social media, of people trying to find their families Absolutely. more openly?
1: Absolutely. It's everything from people posting out there. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what I know. I'm trying to find my um, relatives, whether it's the child they placed or the adopted individual Social media is having a huge, huge impact because the births, the original birth certificates are still sealed. People aren't getting their adoption records, and if they can get it from the agencies, a lot of it's been redacted. Mm -hmm. So um, Facebook has really changed things. Every now and then I get a referral and a new client because we have a teenager who is finding their first parents online, making contact. These kids have their own cell phone. Um, And then all of a sudden the parents call me up and say, you know what, I knew they were emotional more lately, their grades have slipped, they're arguing more. They found their first parents on Facebook Mm -hmm. and they're just totally overwhelmed we need to come in. And I think whether it's a teenager or even adults who I work with, it can be a very positive thing to do a reunion, Mm -hmm. but it can be one of the most emotional experiences yeah. Ever, and it can take a year or two for people to actually sort it all through, because mm-hmm. they're rethinking their adoption story, they're rethinking who they're like, yeah. they're rethinking family fit, mm-hmm. um, they're rethinking should how do I incorporate these relatives I found Mm -hmm. into my new family. It really takes a while. So if people, yes, social media, the internet is making it so Oh, Ancestry.com, you know, Mm -hmm. um, 23andMe, people are uploading their DNA and they're finding their birth relatives. And it's really a very emotional experience. So if somebody wants to do it, they -hmm. should get counseling for the, um, because there's no mentors out there. Yeah. There's no support system. For You're doing people. it on your own. You're doing that's it a
0: scary thing. Just you think it's, oh, I can do this on my own. I have all these resources and tools at my fingertips. And you don't really think, okay, what happened if I find something? Then why? I'm, right. I'm by myself. So do you find there's a difference between uh, domestic adoption and international adoption? Or is it the in the youth or the individuals who are adopted? Do you find that the identity issues might be the same? Or is it... different for like a domestic adoption versus an international
1: adoption or is the the issue still I think the one issue that's not so much international versus domestic but the one issue that makes it more complex is transracial adoption Okay, because and I'm going to say a generality here but white adoptive parents often don't know what they don't know about race so they don't know how to talk about race, they don't know how to talk about white privilege, they don't realize the extent that they need to go, that they need to do more than go take their child to culture camp once a year, that they can't just say, I don't see my child as Chinese, Mm -hmm. I don't see my child as black, they're just my child, when the outside world sees them as a minority. Mm -hmm. And so I think the agencies have gotten much, much better with teaching the prospective adoptive parents Mm -hmm. on their parenting task, yeah. To promote a positive that, no, I haven't just adopted transracially. We are now a multiracial family. Yeah. And, and that's so sort
0: of right. Like, just some of the people, even in my circle, there's a lot of the transracial adoptions. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of why I asked, because I, I'm seeing it more and more, yes. um, just like I said, in my own circle, in my own neighborhood. Uh, so I was just curious about that. Mm-hmm. And we're going to wrap up with my last question. Where can social workers go to learn more about uh, adoption and relinquishment issues, and how can they contact you if they're interested in finding more about the different types of counseling? What's, what resources do you have for us? <laughs> um,
1: well, I'm going to mention a couple. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to say there are links to all of them are on my website, so I'll get my website. My website is www.adoptioncounselingny.com. Or you can Google Marie Dolphy, and hopefully I'll pop up. Um, For families, the big resource out there is the Adoptive Families of the Capital Region. And so they've been around different names for over 50 years, and they have social activities and workshops for adoptive families. Um, So it's a wonderful, wonderful resource out there. And I think when people get involved in that, they're less likely to end up in the clinical population because the parents will know the extra skills. The families will have the extra supports. Recently, the Office of Children and Family Services has started funding post-adoption programs, which is huge. And the one local is run by Parsons. Okay. So if you're looking for some support, there's also Parsons. The big adoption foster care conference that's every May here um, at the Marriott on Wolf Road is organized, and they've been doing it for over 20 years, the Adoptive and Foster Family Coalition in New York it used to be called New York State Citizens Coalition for Children Mm -hmm. and it's a wonderful program because it has foster parents, adoptive parents, and adoption professionals there. So it really has an awful lot to offer. Mm -hmm. It's usually the Friday and Saturday before Mother's Day, every May. And um, NASW New York State just invited me to do a workshop too. So um, I'm doing my workshop working with individuals whose lives have been impacted by adoption and... Congratulations. Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm I'm excited because that's like a really good overview um, for a lot of the things we've been talking about, and I'm thrilled that more people are getting, you know, if we can get them in to learn the first step about how it's different, yeah. then people will then start asking questions and go to more of the trainings. Well, it's really
0: important because, if, you know, you're invited to the... It means that this is a topic that people want to know about. It's a seen as a value. Yes. And that's something that's really important. It's one thing when you have a topic and you think it's important, but no you know, when somebody's inviting you to talk about it, it means that other people are really want these resources. They want to know more. Right. And that's a really good a good sign. Because like I said, the adoptions, um, just from people I know, it's definitely I've seen I don't know if it's an increase that just I'm noticing, but I think that adoptions becoming a little bit is it increased recent in the past few years or the amount of people who are adopting or considering adoption or through foster care or domestic or international?
1: I think what's changed is people are talking about adoptive families may be more complex and we don't keep it a secret mm-hmm. though every now and then I hear somebody who's raising a child or has an, an adult adopted whose parents haven't told them mm-hmm. still that's a big problem we have um, but a, a big problem but not a high in number mm-hmm. big problem because that's really wrong um, Foster care. More people are coming to me, and they're interested in foster care adoption, which I think is really good. People are understanding that that children need homes, and that they can get the skills Mm -hmm. to help be very successful in parenting children who spent time in foster care, who possibly were neglected or abused. Mm -hmm. Um, International adoptions are way down, and the reason is that there was the Hague Treaty on intercountry adoption a number of years ago, and countries are required to promote domestic adoption. So countries like China mm-hmm. and South Korea have been promoting domestic adoption. Okay. So international numbers are damn Domestic private, nobody keeps statistics on that because it's, adoption is run by state laws. So there's no one person organization yeah. collecting the data. Um, some agencies tell me it's slowed down. Others agencies tell me it's doing about the same. But I think we're just more Open about it, so that's why you're hearing about it more, and that's a good sign, <laughs> right? Years ago, they would tell um, the caseworkers, "Would say, well, this kid's not adoptable," and that's not acceptable anymore. Yeah, we need to have services. We need to train the families, and every kid's adoptable if you just find the right match of resources, supports, and parents. Mm-hmm. That, um, we can find a home for everybody.
0: I really thank you so much for this. This, was, uh, this is a topic that's always interested in me. Um, and I'm really gave a lot of great information, uh, especially just about the training and that there it's there are resources out there, and I think that's the important part. Um, sometimes it seems so overwhelming when you think about adoption, and you just think of oh I couldn't I couldn't handle that, or I don't know what to expect, and the fact that. There are resources. There is counseling, there's tools and trainings and workshops that people can become to feel more comfortable with taking that step. Or if they have adopted, that there's resources out there that they can be connected with to help with identity issues. Or when the their child wants to go on social media and find, you know, post to find their birth family. And how does the adoptive family? feel about, there must be some sort of emotion with that, too. Absolutely. Um, Maybe even worry for the child. What happened? What if they find something right. that they are not happy with? Uh, so just the resources that you provided today and the information, this was a great overview, and I really do thank you for you know speaking with us today about this.
1: Well, thank you. This was very, a great thing for me to do. I'm very happy you invited me in.
0: Again, this is Marie Dolphy, and I just want to have your website one more
1: time. www.adoptioncounselingny.com Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: You're listening to The Social Workers on WCDB Albany.